Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the European Tour podcast with me, Dan Burke, brought to you by One Football. It was a weekend of thrilling comebacks in Spain. Mario Balotelli is back in the Italy squad and the transfer window is heating up. But our first stop this week is in Germany and joining me to talk all things Bundesliga, it's Lewis Ambrose. Hello, Dan. Thanks for having me. Hello, Lewis. Uh, so let's start with your personal favourite moment of the week from German football, please. Um, I'm going to go all the way back to, to last Friday evening and... Um... Arminia Bielefeld played against uh, Eintracht Frankfurt and the assist for the second goal was absolutely brilliant. It's just a Rabona assist. One oh, yeah. of those goals that's worth looking out for or finding wherever you can. Um, Patrick Wimmer. And I really enjoyed that afterwards he said he did it. He, he hoped that it would pay off because if it didn't, he would have just looked stupid and arrogant. <laughs> and he said he did it because he didn't trust his left foot to deliver a proper cross. But about 20 minutes earlier, he'd scored the first goal of the game with his left foot, um, <laughs> which I didn't really understand. So he like, found the bottom corner quite nicely early on in the game for the opener. And then for some reason, got in a decent position to cross the ball and apparently thought that he wouldn't be able to find a teammate. So yeah, managed to dig it out with a Rabona with his right foot and uh, Alessandro Schupp chested it in, which added a nice little element to it. You don't see too many goals that are chested in. So, Indeed. yeah, uh, one of those goals to go and look out for if people haven't seen it. Yeah, it was wonderful. Uh, I was going to say, I mean, you and I have played football before. I've been known to pull off a Rabona, uh, not because I'm a skillful <laughs> player, just because I've got no left foot and sometimes the ball's on the left side. What else could I do? So I just do that and uh, sometimes it works. Sometimes I fall on my arse and look like an idiot, but, uh, you know, it's worth a try. <laughs> never arrogant, though. You never look arrogant pulling them off. No, absolutely, absolutely not, yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, you're a Dortmund fan, so we'll begin by talking about their 3-2 win over Hoffenheim on Saturday, a pretty tense and inciting, uh, exciting match that was. Um, first, I want to ask you, uh, just get your take on, on how Marco Rosa has done so far this season. Has it been about as, as good as you expected, maybe even better than you expected? Um, I think it's been really weird. It's a weird one to talk about. I think the results have been better than people probably expected. I think Dortmund have picked up the most points at this stage of a season since they last won the league in 2011-12. So, you know, you're even talking mm. like the last three or four years of Jurgen Klopp weren't this good. The last or the, the two years of Thomas Tuchel hadn't been this good. And then a couple of years under Lucien Favre as well. A couple of other years that we don't talk about in between. <laughs> um, so you, you look at the results and it's great. You look at the method and the performances and it's really concerning. So... Yeah, Dortmund have already conceded 31 goals in 20 league games, which is just and yeah. obviously a huge, huge number. It's sort of, I think, mid-table in terms of the Bundesliga and defensive <laughs> capabilities, which for a team that dominates games and is expected to win most weeks, isn't really where you expect Dortmund to be. And even though results are good, it feels like every game ends up being really, really close, which is less than ideal, obviously, in other matches, some matches you get the rub of the green and Dortmund have had that in the league. But when all the games are close, you won't always have the odd goal fall in your favour. And that's obviously seen the club knocked out the Champions League and the DFB Pokal already. Mm. Well, the opening goal in this game was a lovely flowing one-touch move finished off by, by Erling Haaland. Is that the kind of football you were excited about seeing when Rose was appointed? Yeah, I think that a mixture of that sort of that football on the ball and then sort of more aggressive pressing than Dortmund have probably played for a few years off the ball, which is 
probably the sort of the staple, the way that the people think about Dortmund, that's probably the first thing they think of, but it hasn't really been present for three or four or five years now, I'd say. That's definitely sort of creeping back into the game. I think it takes time and I think you need a certain squad or a certain team and this still feels like a quite a jumbled up team, the sort of three or four players in there mm. that can't play that style or would play a particular style. It's a strange one. I think this is definitely when you look at some of the players available, you want these nice flowing passing moves. And the second goal was, was in a similar way, you know, Michael Royce and Erling Haaland and Daniel Marlon linking up with mm. each other. So hopefully it's a sign of things starting to click and there's more to come. Yeah, you mentioned Daniel Marlon. He got three assists in this game, I believe it was. Um, how has his Dortmund career gone so far and, and was this perhaps his best game in a Dortmund shirt to date? Do you, do you count an own goal, an assisted own goal as an assist? Ah, good question. I mean, I think technically, I think technically you do, don't you? But maybe you shouldn't. Yeah. Yeah. Let's call it. Let's say it is, and that, and yeah. So he assisted. <laughs> yeah. He assisted all three goals. He, I mean, whichever way you want to look at, it, he definitely set the third goal up, even if it was a Hoffenheim yeah, yeah. player who men- ended up putting it in the back of the net. Um, <laughs> I think Marlon's been quite disappointing, really, generally for mm. the amount of money he arrived for. But I think he's in a really tough spot at the club. You arrive as a sort of thirty million euro striker. But you arrive and Erling Haaland also plays for the club and you're just never going to be given time to fit in. You're never going to be given the responsibility to be the, the main man, the leading man, the guy that everyone looks to for goals. Those two have got a, a fairly decent partnership, but it means that Marlon's always sort of shoved onto the wing. Mm. He has been probably quite disappointing for Dortmund so far. I thought the first few games of the season, there were little signs of a player there, but he'd had a... You know, hadn't gone to preseason with PSV because the transfer was going to happen. He was late anyway because of the Euros and he was in the Dutch squad for that. So it was quite a stop start, start to the campaign. And since then, he's had some troubles, yeah, especially just in terms of end product. And obviously, when you have Haaland, the team's used to playing with a, a, this man mountain who can create things out of nothing and, and physically dominate all of his opponents. Whereas Marlon played a few games up front when Holland got injured and it looked like they didn't really know how to play with him or for him as the as the main man. That sort of started to work itself out and he grabbed a couple of goals, but then Holland came back. So Marlon was dropped to the bench again and now he's just started <laughs> getting back in the team. I hope that this was the sign of things to come because like you say, involved in all three goals and did really, really well for all of them as well. So... I think there's definitely a player there, but we just might not see him yet for a while. Yeah, I wonder if he's secretly hoping Haaland leaves this summer so he can step out of his, his shadow. <laughs> I, it, I think, you know, maybe not the best thing for Dortmund, but it'll probably work out quite well for him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, you wrote in your, your newsletter this week a really detailed uh, breakdown of Hoffenheim's tactics in this game. Um, were you impressed with how they played? Do you think they were unfortunate to lose? And, and are they an opponent other teams should, should fear this season, particularly in the battle for top four? Yeah, I thought they were really unlucky. This was the most as far as Dortmund are concerned at least the most undeserved result I've seen all season Uh, I think four shots uh, obviously two goals and an own goal Mm. as well from four shots it doesn't often go like that if you're if you're not shots you won't usually score three goals in a game I think I saw as well that Gladbach had had kept Dortmund to eight shots when they beat them earlier in this season that was previously the fewest number of shots Dortmund took in a game all season so and Haaland wasn't around that day so I think Hoffenheim did an amazing job of keeping Dortmund quiet and keeping the game played in the Dortmund half 
And they were really, really unfortunate not to maybe score one or two more goals for themselves. And then obviously on top of that, to let in three goals from four shots, it's just bad luck. The way they played was brilliant. Mm. I think it was exciting. It was brave. And you've got a, a really good team there. The Bones are a really good team there. With Andre Kramerich has been one of the Bundesliga's best players for years now. But they've added, you know, wing backs with David Raum, David Raum and, and Ilias Bebu playing as a wing back on the other side. It's a really intense, full throttle sort of approach. And I wouldn't be surprised at all to see them in the mix for a Champions League spot at the end of the season. Mm. And uh, before we move on, please tell the listeners where they can find your newsletter. Uh, Fussball, so F-U-S-S-B-A-L-L, um, dot substack.com. Thank you. Yeah, get it. Get your email address in there, get it straight to your inbox every week. Oh, no, sorry. Fussball, Fussball in English. I forgot my, my name in my own newsletter. <laughs> um, Fussball in English, uh, dot substack.com. Lovely stuff. Uh, it's Dortmund v Leverkusen after the break. That should be a, a cracking game, shouldn't it? Leverkusen, another team in good form at the moment. Yeah, 4-3 the last time the teams played each other. So if, it, even if it's half yeah. as exciting as that one, it'll be quite the game. Yeah. I mentioned on last week's podcast that I'm a big fan of Leverkusen's Musa Diaby and uh, he must have heard me and, and been inspired by that because he went and scored a hat-trick in their 5-1 win over Augsburg. Is he uh, Is he a player that the biggest clubs in Europe are going to be sniffing around before long, do you think? Why, why do PSG produce young players and then just let them go and spend 50, 60, 70 million uh, on someone that plays in the same position. I mean, you, in the Bundesliga alone, <laughs> you've got him and Nkunku who yeah, I think yeah. between, could basically walk into almost any team in Europe pretty much. I, I find it very, very strange. Um, yeah, he's really excited. I think he's a, he fits in at Leverkusen really well and he's not alone with Patrick Schick and, and Florian Wirtz sort of driving the attack there. But Diaby has that sort of X factor to to beat two or three men, really get people mm. on the edge of their seat and is a good finisher as well. So sort of everything you want from a winger and alongside those other two names too, you can't see him staying at Leverkusen, I don't think, for that much longer. Yeah, yeah. Patrick Schick's another one who might be off before long as well, isn't he? Yeah. Uh, RB Leipzig uh, are knocking on the door of the top four after their 2-0 win over Wolfsburg. That looks a bit a bit unlikely earlier in the campaign. Are they, are they perhaps a positive example of what could happen if, you, if you're brave enough to uh, change your manager and arrest a decline in the middle of a season? Yeah, I think credit to Jesse Marsh as well. for like He's, he's done a few interviews since leaving the club and I think maybe when it was announced that he was leaving and it sounded very much like a joint decision like mm. he wasn't happy with how things were going and sort of with the club yeah. decided you know what I, it's probably best for everybody here if if there's a change that's made I'm still not fully convinced I have won both games since coming back from from the winter break in Germany but they beat Mainz who went down to 10 men quite early mm. And then they've beaten a Wolfsburg team that lose to absolutely anyone that you put in front of them at the moment. So <laughs> I, I think the Leipzig look better thanks to the the change or since the managerial change, but they're going to have to win a few more games or convince against a few better opponents before it really looks like they've turned a corner. Yeah. What What do you think is going right under Tedesco, if anything, really, that was going wrong under Jesse March? I mean, Andre Silva, for example, he seems to be in better form these days. Do you think that's, that's any coincidence? I think it's something, again, that Marsh has sort of touched on himself since leaving, that Leipzig had had this model of playing this aggressive, pressing football. But under Julian Nagelsmann, they'd become much more of a possession team, happy to have the ball, keep the ball for longer spells. Mm. 
And they obviously then, with Nagelsmann in charge, built a squad to play that way. Now, when Jesse Marsh has arrived and gone back to that Red Bull brand, high energy football, Mm. but the players and the squad weren't suited to it anymore. So I think Tedesco is is more going back to that possession, that calmer, slower football that maybe suits the squad a little bit better, even if it's not exactly what the club wants long-term. Yeah, yeah, I found it interesting that Marsh, uh, I think he said after he left that he'd even had discussions in the summer with the club, hadn't he, about maybe I'm not the right fit for this job, maybe this squad isn't right for the, the kind of football I want to play, which is uh, very honest of him, but really interesting as well. Um, you mentioned that Wolfsburg are having a, a pretty terrible season, very terrible season, you might say. They've already changed their coach this season, but they've now got nine games without winning under Florian Coltfelt. Um, do you think they could possibly make another change in the dugout in a bid to stave off relegation, or are they just going to ride it out with, with Coltfelt now? I, I'd be amazed if they didn't make a change soon, to be honest. Mm. Um, Jörg Schmacker, the, the sporting director, isn't usually known for being a very patient man when his managers aren't doing very well. As you say, I think Cofield would have been sacked by now if he hadn't already just arrived a few months ago or a couple of months ago. Mm. Maybe maybe they think it's a bit much to make two managerial changes in the space of two or three months, but something has to change. And this is a squad. They didn't lose anyone in the summer. They got into the Champions League last year. There's no way they should be sort of flirting with relegation or the relegation battle. So... Nine without a win, I think, in the league. It's really, really difficult to see him staying on any longer. And I'm amazed, personally, with a free week and weekend this week that they've not made that change already. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of managers under a bit of pressure, we were saying a few weeks ago that uh, that Gladbach's win over Bayern Munich might have eased the pressure under Adi Hooter. Um, but they've lost all three games since then. They've been knocked out the DFB Pokal. How much pressure do you think he's under and, and how much... Uh, might it be affected by the fact that uh, it's come out today that Max Max Ebel, the uh, the sporting director, is leaving the club? Yeah, that's an interesting one, isn't it? Because if Ebel's leaving, maybe that explains why nothing's happened with Hutter yet. Whose job is it to appoint a new manager when your sporting director leaves? I'm not really sure. I know that Gladbach definitely have, I wouldn't say financial trouble, but... Mm. It's a tight budget, especially with fans not back in the stadiums. So I wonder if that's played into it. Obviously, Hutter just arrived this summer and they paid a release clause to get him out of his Frankfurt contract. I wonder if they want to stick with him, give him as long as possible to see if he can turn things around because they've made such an investment into him. Mm. With Herbal going, it just complicates things a bit further. You sort of wonder... Who will be in charge of that decision? A, getting rid of the coach and B, replacing him or finding the successor. That's a little bit troublesome now for Gladbach. And now they've not just got to worry about the performances on the pitch, but replacing the guy who basically has been in charge of all operations at the club for 13 years after retiring as a player. So massive, massive upheaval is going to be required at Gladbach over the next few months whether or not Hutter stays and you do just sort of worry for them because Max Erbel has been such a massive presence. Yeah, well, Erbel has been had a, a 23-year association with the club, starting there as a player, as he said. Um, he, he said in his press conference that he, he was basically mentally and physically exhausted. Uh, what's the story there? What, how, how much of the sort of problems are, 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 are kind of being laid at his door, would you say? I, not so much because he's just such a club legend. I think... Mm. You know, as you said, 10 years as a player and then to go into the sporting director role and the club was in a horrible position when he took that over. 
um, you know, they'd just been promoted or from the from the second division. You know, for for a giant of the Bundesliga, it's, it's amazing to imagine. But I think they hadn't finished in the top half for about a decade in the Bundesliga. They'd sort of been around mid-table, the bottom half of the table, been relegated, came back up. And he turned them in the space of a few years from sort of a team that had just been promoted from the second division to a team that was basically in Europe every single season. Uh, so him, you know, with, with Lucien Favre in charge as coach, they built a team, a squad, a way of playing that got really great results. It, to think that the guy that built that and, you know, how it works in Germany with these clubs that they don't have enormous pools of money. Yeah. Clubs do lose their best players consistently. I mean, Gladbach got into Europe for the first time in, I think, about 15 years, 13, 14 years, and immediately lost Dante to Bayern Munich and uh, Neustädter to Schalke and Michael Royce to Dortmund. So, mm. you know, to stay and maintain being in the top half every single season since then has been a massive, massive achievement. A few times in the Champions League as well. Uh, yeah, I think you can't underestimate how massive it is, uh, how massive Erbo is for Gladbach and what a challenge it is for them coming up, what they're going to do next. Yeah, yeah. It'd be sad to see him go. Let's hope he enjoys uh, some uh, some peace and quiet and uh, a nice retirement if that's uh, if that's what he's going to do. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure he will. I, I, just, I just saw he, in the press conference that's just been going on and saw he said he wants to sort of find and be Max Erbel again and <laughs> enjoy himself and enjoy not having any responsibilities. Wow. So I, I think it'll be a while before we see him at a club again and I hope he makes the most of the time off. Yeah, yeah, good luck to him. Uh, a quick word on Bayern Munich who confirmed this week that Nicolas Zula won't be signing a new contract and will leave in a free transfer this summer. Why is he leaving? I guess it's always tricky when you're at Bayern and you're not a guaranteed starter. Obviously, they signed Deo Upamecano last summer. Mm. As, as Alaba and Boateng left. So Sula was behind Alaba and Boateng last season under Hansi Flick. Nagelsmann's arrived, who coached him at Hoffenheim as well. And Upamecano and Luca Hernandez is now the centre-back partnership. So he's sort of been overlooked again. I wonder if, A, he wants just to try something different, try something new. And he's already won everything you can win at Bayern Munich. Mm try his hand in another league. It's worked really well for players before leaving the club. I mean, talk about sort of going off to Spain. He's been linked with Barcelona. Tony Kroos has had one hell of a Real Madrid career, having won everything you can win as a Bayern Munich player first. So I wonder how much of it is a new challenge and how much of it is just wanting to start every single week, which obviously you can't ever begrudge a footballer. So hopefully it works out well for him. Yeah. Bayern seems to have feel like they've sort of had the fingers burnt here and that they're taking a bit of a hardline approach to players who are kind of letting the contracts run down, maybe holding the club to ransom, you might say. There's also the, the Lewandowski situation. His contract doesn't inspire until, expire until the summer of 2023, I believe. But there's some talk that maybe they might try and find a buyer for him in, this summer if, if, he's, if he's not signed a new contract by then. Do you think that's a genuine situation that they need to, they need to worry about? I think it could be. The interesting thing with Lewandowski, obviously, is just his age. I mean, he's hmm. 33, he turns 34 in August, so the start of next season. And then if he wants a two or three or four year contract and you're looking at him being sort of 37, 38 by the end of that, I don't think there's a club on the planet that would invest that much amount of money that far ahead of time mm. 
banking on a player not declining. Obviously, Lewandowski's been incredible for the past few years. Best player, best he's been playing for his whole career. But age comes for everybody at some point, and I wonder if that's in the back of their minds. You could maybe make an argument for them making an approach for Erling Haaland with his release clause this summer if something did happen with Lewandowski. So mm. it'll be an interesting one. We'll see. Yeah, yeah. And finally, what's the latest on the uh, the Geisterspiel situation in the Bundesliga? Is there any hope of getting fans back in the stadiums anytime soon? There's not full stadiums. Um, but yeah, there is definitely hope. So there's going to be fans at the next Stuttgart home game. Uh, and in Bavaria, they are now... Because these rules, as you know, these rules are different all over Germany and all the different yeah, states. Yeah. Um, but Bayern have had no fans. Most clubs have had sort of a couple of thousand fans for the first few games of the year. Uh, in Munich, there's been none. And they've now said that they can have up to 10,000 fans at games. So that'll be from Bayern Munich's next home game, which is, I think, against Leipzig next weekend. Um, there'll be, you know, it's not much, but it's <laughs> a hell of a lot better than nothing. And hopefully, I think Bavaria tends to be one of the stricter states. So if they're doing that, hopefully it means the floodgates will open quite soon for us to start getting stadiums more and more filled up again. Joining me now for part two to discuss all things La Liga is Nawel Miranda. Noel, welcome. Hi, it's nice to be here, guys. Uh, so thanks for, for the invite. You're welcome. And, uh, and let's start with your, your highlight of the week from Spanish football, please. Yeah, I'd say uh, we're going to speak about this uh, a little further on, but I think it's really remarkable and it's a sign of uh, how exciting like Liga has been this season and also last season, uh, which is those uh, three comebacks uh, by three top teams like uh, Sevilla, Real Madrid, uh, mm. and also Atletico de Madrid, which was the, the most remarkable one. So I'm going to go to with, uh, with Atletico and Simeone uh, because uh, we, we felt this kind of uh, explosion of joy in, in the Metropolitano Stadium last Saturday. Um, yeah, I think it, it was a, like a really, really remarkable moment for Atleti fans uh, that were uh, whistling the, the team that were not uh, pleased with that 2-0 uh, victory from, from Valencia and also with the, with the recent yeah. form of Atletico. So uh, I'd say that the equalizer in the, uh, in the extra time and then the, the 3-2 win, I think it's uh, yeah the, for sure the highlight of the weekend. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's talk about that one a bit more now then, because that's the first time in Atleti's 118-year history that they've been losing in the final minutes of a match and they've gone on to win it. Uh, my question is, can this act as a turning point in their season now, do you think? I think we, we all had the same feeling and we had this uh, same question uh, on the last match uh, from the group stage in Champions League when they were beat Porto in, in Dodragao. Mm. Uh, it seemed like a really difficult game. Also... Uh, the form of the team was not the best, uh, and I I don't think so. I don't think so to to answer to your question because uh, I think Atletico's got like some really really deep issues with the squad configuration. Uh, I have this feeling that uh, they're no longer uh, a team that's good on defense, and it's a bit harsh to say, but uh, they're conceding a lot of goals from uh, from throw uh, from crosses, mm. uh, which was one of the biggest strengths uh, back in the times of uh, Godin, uh, Miranda, and so on and so on. Uh, they, they've got plenty of defenders like uh, Hermoso and Felipe, especially that are not performing at the their best level. 
And actually, I think it's kind of funny that uh, Mar Hermoso was the uh, the guy who scored the the winning goal uh, against Valencia. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think we can see that compromise uh, in uh, Atletis players, uh, but we also hear some reports about uh, the squad being really divided internally in the in the locker room. Uh, and that's what we see with with Atletico. We see a lot of effort and a lot of fighting for for Simeone. I think uh, he's a really really top uh, coach uh, in this kind of aspect. But I think he just lacks this uh, defensive quality. And uh, yeah, we've been speaking whole, the, the whole season about uh, Simeone's future for I'd say for the first time in more than ten years that he's been coaching Atletico. Yeah, I had heard some some talk that there was a, there was a bit of unrest behind the scenes, a bit of uh, like you said, a bit of division in the locker room, um, players not getting on with each other. I mean, it didn't it didn't look that way when they were celebrating the uh, the, the winning goal in uh, in what the ninety seventh minute or, or whatever it was. Um, I'm, I'm a big fan personally of Mateus Cunha. Um, he had a big impact on this game. We've not seen an awful lot for him from him in an Atletico shirt so far, have we? Do you think this was probably his best night for the? club so far yeah one of them uh, and actually we were speaking about the the performance in general i'd say cunha is a bit outside of this analysis because uh, he's uh, overperforming we were expecting him to to be kind of uh, having the same role as uh, dembele had uh, last season he barely played mm. um but uh, yeah cunha i think he's uh, he's uh, achieving he's doing well at, at atletico honestly and uh, we were not that optimistic because uh, one week after signing Cunha, uh, Atletico had the opportunity to sign uh, Antoine Griezmann back, who seemed mm. like a kind of similar role, or at least a player that could uh, take so so many minutes from him. Uh, but Cunha is performing really well whenever he's given the the chance, and he really changed the game uh, against Valencia once yeah. again. He's got. Uh, some other um, situations like this, and he's been a starter for a few matches. Uh, but I think, um, yeah, the best role uh, Cunha can have is like, uh, yeah, this kind of role that Correa had for so many years for being uh, the first player to come in from the bench. Uh, mm. Kind of uh, Atletico's uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, uh, <laughs> so to say. Uh, because super sub. Yeah, the super sub. The super sub, yeah. that's it. Uh, I think he's doing really well at that role. Uh, yeah, we can expect uh, him to, to be playing more often. But uh, yeah, if we ana- analyze one by one all the strikers uh, Atletico's having this season, uh, I'd say Correa and Griezmann are the... Uh, the top performing uh, strikers, uh, but they're also kind of the same role. So I'd say Cunha could have a shot on on being a starter more often. Mm. Uh, Joe Felix, on the other hand, he was taken off in the second half of this game. Is it fair to say his time at Atleti has been a, a big disappointment so far? And how do you explain why it's gone so so badly for him? Yeah, I think he just doesn't fit the team. You know, um, doesn't fit the philosophy of of Simeone. Everybody thought that. He could have like uh, this kind of impact Antoine Grisma had in his first uh, period when he came from from Real Sociedad. Uh, in mm. the first six months, he barely played, and then he uh, caught up with the intensity of of um, the games that uh, Simeone proposes on on his uh, chalkboard, and um, and he started to go and become better and better and better in Atletico. But we're not seeing this with uh, with Joe Felix. Uh, he, I mean, he's obviously not comfortable with the squad. Uh, we all know he's uh, one of the most uh, exciting talents in in European football. Mm. But maybe Atletico's just uh, not the fit uh, the, or the right fit. So um, uh, I would like to see him, even if it's uh, six months on loan uh, somewhere else. Uh, 
to get back to to the Joao Felix that uh, yeah made everybody fall in love with with his game in in Mefica. Yeah, yeah, a bit of a shame. Yeah, uh, you're a Valencia fan. Um, aside from how upset you must have been to lose this game in in that manner, how are you feeling about Valencia under uh, Jose Bordalas so far this season? Well, there's uh, some people that don't uh, agree that much with me, but I think uh, Valencia are really overperforming with uh, Bordalas. Uh, he's mm. uh, been great. I mean, everybody says that uh, Bordalas is the right fit for Valencia. We could feel that uh, when he was coaching Getafe, is this kind of mm. really uh, defensive coach, but with a lot of intensity and that makes you feel that uh, every single guy in the team is uh, playing at his uh, maximum, at his top level. And I think he's proven that, but um, yeah, some people give more credit to the squad than than I give. I think Valencia's got a good starting eleven if you read it name by name. Uh, but then uh, you have the problem uh, you found against Atletico, which it's kind of the symptomatic game of the season. Uh, they played yeah. really well for the first sixty minutes, and then when you need some uh, refresh, some uh, subs to uh, yeah to close the game and to to close that win and take it back home, uh, you just don't have the quality. Like we have uh, Cristian Mosquera, he's 17 years old. He's played uh, only uh, once with Valencia before in Copa del Rey. And yeah, he, he made his debut against uh, Atletico uh, as a starter. You know, it's uh, it's crazy mm-hmm. to think about it. I mean, and I mean, everybody's <laughs> so really excited about him. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, he's he's not just the... He's not in the right point to have this kind of responsibility yet and we could say the same about uh, so many players that came in uh, the, the other day last Saturday against Atletico like uh, Kovaco Indredi uh, also some players like uh, Guillamon he's playing as, as, as a midfielder when he used to be uh, a center back um, uh, Junus Musa who is like a huge prospect for for, for United States a former uh, Arsenal yeah. uh, youth player but uh, as I say these players are really really young still and you cannot rely on them that much uh, or, or not you cannot rely on all of them at the same time uh yeah because of injuries and uh, also some rotations because of Copa del Rey uh Valencia has to play them more often than than Bordalas would like to so so I think um, the the team needs more signings uh, we're having a couple of them in the in the past uh, few hours but uh yeah in, in general, I think the the, the squad lacks uh, a lot of quality. Yeah, you were saying that the, the player they signed from Basel this week, there's a funny story about him, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Erai uh, Chomert, uh, who is a, a centre-back, he used to play alongside uh, Omar mm. Alderete. Uh, they were both playing uh, three years ago in in Basel. Uh, and Basel, uh, the fun fact is that they played uh, Getafe's, uh, uh, oh, Jose Bordalas' uh, Getafe in the group stage. And they beat him twice. Uh, so Bordalas was <laughs> so impressed that he wanted to. He tried to sign uh, Alderete at Getafe. <laughs> he couldn't. Uh, he managed to do it uh, on loan uh, with an option to buy from from Hertha Berlin uh, last uh, last summer. And now he's bringing uh, uh, his partner in that uh, uh, defense, uh, who is Serai Chomert. Uh, he was about to end his his contract. Uh, it was due to uh, to happen next summer. Uh, so they're paying a really small fee below uh, 1 million euro and yeah bringing him now but uh, he's never played outside of of the Swiss league so yeah it's a yeah it's a bit of a um, uh, 
uh, yeah, we don't we don't really know that much about him. Uh, we are not really expecting that much. But Valencia uh, struggling with the defenders. Uh, Gabriel Paulista may, may be out for the rest of of the season. He's got a uh, really difficult injury with a not so clear di diagnosis. Uh, which makes it more difficult. Uh, Diakabi uh, has proven uh, that he's not uh, got the level to to play at Valencia, and Alderete is the the only player with the with the right level that's uh, actually starting for Valencia now. So so we rely a lot mm. of on the on the Paraguayan guy. Yeah, and and there's some links with uh, Tangi and and Dombele, right? About taking him alone potentially. Yeah. yeah, I think I think it's uh, just. Um, uh, some fake news or some uh, rumors that are really difficult to to complete because Valencia just don't have the money. Uh, and actually, they're really close on on signing uh, today. Um, Elias Moriva, right, uh, yeah. who used to play at Barça, uh, then he he was uh, sold to to Arbe Leipzig because he he didn't want to renew his contract, and he's barely played. He only played a uh, hundred minutes. Uh, it's true that I think he won uh, best uh, young player from the group stage in in um, Africa's mm. Cup right now. Uh, he's playing with Guinea, which is uh, his mom's uh, country, and uh, he could go on loan to Valencia, but uh, to replace uh, Daniel Vaz, who is uh, joining Atletico de Madrid. Mm. So it's kind of weird because uh, Daniel Vaz was the the player with the most minutes, the the field player with the most minutes in in Valencia. And you are trying to replace him with a 19-year-old that's barely yeah. played in the first part of, of the season. And you only have him on loan. It's a bit weird, but uh, Valencia are doing this kind of operations because they just don't don't have the money. There's some more reliable rumors about uh, Brian Hill from Tottenham mm. that could go back to La Liga. Uh, but I don't really expect uh, many more signings that than uh, Elias and, and Brian Hill. Right. Uh, as you mentioned at the start, it was a weekend of comebacks in La Liga. Uh, leaders Real Madrid also came back from 2-0 down to draw 2-2 with Elche. I want to ask you about Elche's Lucas Boyer, who scored the first goal in this game and did brilliantly to assist the second goal as well. Is he somebody we could be hearing a lot more about? I hear there's some rumours about Atletico Madrid maybe being interested in him now. Yeah, also, also Sevilla and Barca. Uh, and I mean... Uh, he's got a really cheap uh, release clause. Uh, it, it was uh, somewhere in between 25 uh, and 30 million euro. Uh, and he actually reminds me of uh, kind of Edin Zeko, uh, not yeah. because of the level, but because of the profile of, of, of player in the sense that uh, he's a really tall, strong striker, uh, but he calls, can also play... Uh, Far away from the area, um, um, he's got this technique to to be good on the ball and know uh, what to do with it. Uh, in one of the goals, this I think it's second goal from Elche uh, last weekend. Uh, he did an amazing job uh, with with Alaba. He mm. made Alaba look like an amateur, <laughs> uh, to to be honest. Uh, yeah, that performance, uh, yeah, wrong, uh, yeah, made uh, ring all the alarms because mm. he's been playing amazingly. And uh, yeah, also also with a game like this in Santiago Bernabeu, you know, everybody is going to try to to call you. So uh, I think he's going to stay with El Chanti the, the, for the remainder of the season. I don't see anybody uh, paying the release clause and I don't see Elche letting him go because he's the, yeah, he's 
uh, undoubtedly the, the star of the team and they're fighting relegation. But uh, next summer we'll, we'll see because uh, Elche can make a really, really good deal about of um, Lucas Boyer, who failed to, to success at, uh, at Celta. Uh, mm. He was uh, loaned by Torino. Yeah. He was also loaned last season and he was not that good. Uh, and they decided to pay the fee for him. And now he's proving to to be a, a really, really interesting striker. Yeah, he was on loan at Reading at one point as well in the Championship. Yeah, right? true, true, true. <laughs> it's a strange career path for him. Um, speaking of kind of strange career paths, I guess, Eden Hazard started this game for Real Madrid. There's some talk that they're sort of trying to put him in the shop window, I guess you might say, to uh, to, to get someone interested in buying him. And also Gareth Bale was an unused substitute for, for Real Madrid. What's the situation with those two at the moment? Well, I'd say Hazard needs to play. He's been struggling with injuries since he joined Real Madrid. Uh, but the thing is that uh, the right fit for, for Eden Hazard would be left winger. And you had, uh, uh, he's got Vinicius ahead of him. Yeah. Shane, same position. And I think Ancelotti is not willing to give him that amount of, of playing time because Vinicius has been so, so important for, for Real Madrid, especially now that uh, Benzema is injured again. Uh, yeah, it's, and speaking of Bale, I think um, he just doesn't feel like playing. He's not comfortable. Uh, we can all tell that. Uh, I think if he was at 50% he'd be starting at uh, Real Madrid because uh, Asensio, Rodrigo, these kind of players, they're not performing especially good on the on the right wing. Uh, but he, yeah, he seems to be like in in another world. Uh, he's finishing his contract this this summer with uh, with Real Madrid. Mm. Uh, yeah, we remember from last summer that he threatened uh, with um, retiring. But I don't know. Uh, it, it looks like he's gonna end up uh, his contract with Real Madrid, and we'll see about the the next destination for him. But yeah. Uh, yeah, he doesn't feel like he's really, really committed to the project. Maybe we'll see if Wales gets to the World Cup. That might uh, make him make a decision on his yeah. retirement or not. <laughs> uh, Sevilla are still second in La Liga after they came back from 2-0 down to draw with Celta. Um, do you believe Sevilla can, can win the title? And could it depend on, on how seriously they take the, the Europa League? I know Sevilla love the Europa League and the, and the final is in their own stadium this year, but could that kind of di- distract them from the title challenge if they, if they put all their eggs into that basket? I have a, a big of uh, mixed feelings in this uh, because I'd say they're going to try to win both. I have... I have this feeling that they they have the deepest squad uh, in in La Liga, even deeper than Real Madrid. That really often plays uh, Casemiro, Modric, uh, Kroos, these kind of players. Mm. Uh, but uh, you can see uh, that uh, Sevilla's got on the bench players that have the same quality as the starters and players like uh, Augustinsson, uh, Gudel, Rekic, uh, Jesus Navas, Nesiri. Uh, these kind of players uh, will be starters in most of La Liga teams, and they're proving to be really, really good. So I'd say they're going to try to go for both. I, they're never going to say it out loud in public, but Sevilla, deep down, they know that maybe fighting for the title, it's not their fight. Uh, on the other hand, they know that the Europa League is their favorite competition, and as you said, uh, they're playing yeah. the final uh, at home. Uh, in, in Sanchez Pijuan. So, yeah, I, I think they're going to try to go for both, but the uh, Europa League, uh, especially w- with the change of format, is a really, really tough competition now. And, um, yeah, and yeah uh, they're going to try to go for both. Let's hope they they don't end up uh, with with nothing but uh, but yeah uh, it it can compromise for sure the the performance in la liga for for sure if they go really hard on, yeah. on europa league yeah well they've signed anthony marshall on loan now from manchester united is he the sort of player they've been they've been desperate for 
Do you think? Yeah, definitely. I think it's a, a leap in terms of, of quality of the team. Uh, he's a different kind of striker as well compared to, to what they have now. And yeah, it, it will allow uh, Ocampos to, to play in the in the right wing and use Martial both as a replacement for Nesiri and, and Rafa Mir, which are most of, yeah, I'd say they're kind of the same player. Uh, yeah, and the left, uh, the left wing has always been not a problem because they they've got good players. Uh, Papu Gomez has been playing a lot in in that area, mm. but maybe Papu is a different kind of uh, not like a winger, but more of an attacking midfielder, let's say. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd say Martial uh, adds a lot of quality. He's proven that he really wants to join Sevilla but, uh, because of the conditions on on his contract and the effort he made to to be on loan outside of the Premier League. I think. That says a lot about him and his desire to uh, to be competitive in a team that uh, can do a lot of good stuff uh, this this season. And um, he also he, is gonna add some some more options for for Julian Lopetegui in the in the attacking part of the team. Yeah, um, Barcelona they scored an 87th minute winner to beat Alaves on Sunday night. Frankie De Jong was the scorer of that goal, and he admitted after the game that he's aware that his Barca career hasn't quite gone to plan so far. Why do you think that is? Because that seemed like such a good good signing at the time, a good fit for the club, and it's not really worked out so far, has it? Yeah, 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 definitely. I I think. Um, yeah, firstly, I'd say that uh, his favorite role would be the one the Busquets uh, has. Mm. So that's a bit uh, tricky, or was a bit tricky when he first came from from Ajax. Uh, he's been struggling to find uh, his place in the field. Uh, maybe the on uh, Kuman's first season, uh, the second part of the season from from Frankie was really good. That's the, that's the highlight from his era at, at Barca. Um, but yeah. Uh, it's it's a bit of uh, mixed feelings because we all think that uh, yeah it's kind of the same with uh, we were speaking about Joao Felix we think he's a right uh, he he's got the quality we also think he's the right fit for for Barca or that's what uh, mm. it, it seemed like when they signed him uh, but yeah it's a shame because uh, he's got the, that level and he, that skills to be great at Barca but. Uh, it looks like uh, it became kind of a toxic uh, relationship, let's say, between the the club and the and the player. And every time we've got we're having more and more rumors that uh, his time at Barcelona w- might be coming to to an end soon. Yeah, and uh, another Adam Traore looks like he's going back to Barcelona. That's an interesting one, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, especially uh, because of the Ansu Fati's injury. Uh, I think mm. Barcelona are not counting that much on him because it's a tricky one. So he might be out for the rest of the season. He went for um, a bit of a conservative treatment and not uh, have any kind of surgery. Uh, but let's see if that uh, works for, for Ansu. And also, depending on what happens with uh, with Nebele, uh, publicly, uh, both Xavi and Matteo Alemán, the, the CEO of the team, uh, have said that uh, Dembélé uh, is out of the team if he doesn't renew his contract. So we'll see. It looks like uh, they're trying to to sell Dembélé or to find a solution for him. Uh, and I think it's a really interesting uh, option, especially because he knows um, La Masia. He's a, a mm. Barca youth player. 
And uh, also, he, he he even played with alongside Xavi when he was making his first steps in, in professional football. Oh, wow, yeah. yeah. So, um, so, yeah, everybody knows him perfectly in, in Barcelona. And I think uh, he can be maybe not the most exciting name. Uh, that's uh, what Barca fans uh, said in, in social media. But I think he could be a, a right option for the, the context uh, that uh, Barcelona is going through right now. Yeah. I always think with him, he's he's got so much potential. Just a, a good coach, if they could get get onto him and, and coach him into being such a good player, it's, it's possible. There's so much possibility there with him. Uh, finally, I want to ask you about Real Betis, who are in great form at the moment, and their 4-1 win over Espanyol puts them third in the table. Uh, it's fair to say Manuel Pellegrini is doing a pretty impressive job there, isn't he? Yeah, people are really, really happy with uh, Pellegrini uh, because Betis, every single year, uh, used to be this uh, kind of team with uh, good players, but... Uh, lacking consistency, uh, having this feeling that uh, yeah, people are not giving their 100%. Uh, even signings like uh, Borja Iglesias uh, are playing superbly under Pellegrini. Um, you have this feeling that also the, the starters are playing good, but also uh, people that are coming in in specific, uh, specific moments from the season are also uh, saying a lot of things in, uh, in the good moment from Betis. Uh, they're fighting for Champions League and yeah, uh, we didn't see that in the past 15 years. I remember Betis playing Chelsea in, I'd say, yeah, 2004 or something like that uh, with, uh, when, when Joaquin mm. was young and when he was a prospect. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it's a really <laughs> exciting season for Betis uh, because they're winning week, uh, week in, week out. Uh, in January, they're reaching their top form from whole season. And I think we saw that against uh, Espanyol. Uh, that's also one of the weakest teams uh, away from, from home. Uh, they're really, really uh, in the RCD stadium. They are like uh, really strong, but they are struggling when they're playing away matches. Mm. Uh, so yeah, uh, that was uh, the perfect storm for Betis. Uh, that also won, uh, also beat Sevilla in Copa del Rey. They can uh, have a shot at um, being at Copa del Rey final. That's also been played in, in Sevilla, in, in el Estadio de la, de la Cartuja, which is like a kind of a Spanish Wembley. It's becoming kind of Spanish Wembley <laughs> uh, because nobody used it uh, be, besides the, the Spanish national team. Right. So yeah, uh, I think it's a really interesting season from Betis. They've got the, the players, they've got the, the right coach. Uh, and also uh, some stars like uh, I'd say Canales and Fekir are the the main uh, stars from from the team. They're performing really really well. They both renew this co their contract, so everything looks like a fairy tale for them right now. Joining me now in the third and final part of the show is Francesco Pozio. Ciao, guys. Ciao, Fra. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Let's start with your uh, your favourite moment of the week in Italian football, please. Balotelli back to to, <laughs> to Italian national team. Yes. I would say. No, I, I know you will agree with that. Yes. Uh, no, that's kind of. I mean, we were not expecting that. Uh, there were some rumours during last week, and that was something, to be honest, that we didn't. Uh, believe that could happen of course it's this, this is a trial yeah. it's a three days trial uh with a lot of players that were not called in the past uh there is also a Cagliari striker Joao Pedro for the first time so there are some new names but Balotelli of course is a surprise because he was never called in the last three years last time was September 2018 mm. so that's kind of surprising but to be honest I'm happy for it because I think 
if there is a moment we need Balotelli is for the playoffs in March yeah. because uh, he's a player that knows how to play these kind of games with pressure um, he played uh, Champions League football uh, he had more experience than others so I think he can be a good uh, a good opportunity for Italy so that's my my favourite moment of the week yes mine too <laughs> he's doing pretty yeah, well isn't he at uh, Adana Demispor I think he's playing for in Turkey isn't it uh, yeah he's doing, doing pretty well there so what, what's the so it's a thir- it's a 35 man squad right and um, it's like a training camp for a few days like you said like and then they'll, they'll, they'll name a proper squad nearer to the playoffs I assume yeah yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's just a training ground trial uh, with, with some new names, young players. Uh, Mancini wants to, you know, uh, try all the, see all the cards he has basically uh, for March. Uh, of course, Balotelli is doing, um, he's doing well in Turkey. Um, but uh, playing this kind of games, matches is a totally different thing. So probably Mancini now wants to understand, looking at him personally on a daily basis these days, uh, how actually can be helpful for this team. So that's probably the aim of this, uh, this call. Uh, if there is one person that trusts Balotelli more than any other else in the world is Roberto Mancini. So I think he has no, he has no doubts about it. Uh, he always said that opens were, um, the doors were open for him. Balotelli was always help, hoping to come back to a national team. So. This is one of the things that could, could go really well or really bad. I don't know. I hope really well, but also can go really bad. So <laughs> yeah. let's see what happens. If we see some photographs of them uh, fighting on the training pitch or something, then maybe he's not going to make the yeah, full squad. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly, exactly, exactly. I'm just looking at Balotelli's Wikipedia here. Do you know he has a, a child called Lion? I, I, I think I forgot about it, but yes. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know how many children he has. Two or three, something like that? Two, I think. Two, yeah, two, yeah, two. two. One, uh, one with, uh, yeah, yeah. I remember is a is a is a daughter and then and then well <laughs> yeah Lion Balotelli that's some name yeah. what a name what a name <laughs> indeed you mentioned it briefly there uh, Cagliari forward João Pedro also getting a call up so he's twenty nine he's never been capped at senior level he's born in Brazil he's never been capped at senior level for Brazil what's the story with him getting a call up at this point uh, the story with him is that we have a lack of strikers right now in Italy uh, because basically. Uh, there was the injury of case, of course, but then it's not really strictly related. Uh, Immobile and Belotti, I would say, were not the best part of the Italian national team uh, in the Euros, at the Euros. I mean, of course, they, they are, especially Immobile, uh, still doing really well in Italy. So, But for the way Mancini plays, uh, there was always this kind of discussion in Italy about uh, who, who would be the perfect striker because Immobile is doing really well, but it doesn't not fit really well in Mancini's tactics. So Mancini probably wants to find some other solutions. Um, there are also players like Scamacca and Raspadori from Sassuolo that are really, really good. But the point is they are super young. So it's difficult to put um, so much pressure for these kind of games for, to players like them. I would say that Scamacca can be easily uh, the striker number nine, the number nine for Italy for the next years. But right now, I think you also need some sort of experiences. And Jo Pedro, I know he never played for Italy but he has experience in Serie A at least. I prefer the Balotelli solution, to be honest with you, rather than the Jean Pedro. Also because I, f- I feel the Balotelli you know, is more uh, closer to the, to the group, to this kind of, uh, you already played for Italy. Uh, I like the, this option better. But Jean Pedro is a, is a good option, is an option. You know, uh, Mancini also brought to the Euros Toloi, uh, a player that never played before for Italy. 
So Mancini wants to, ex- to try all the, the, the solutions he has and then finding the, 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 the good one. Jo Pedro has an Italian passport. He can be called, so good luck to him. Give him a go, yeah. Why not? Yeah. And let's talk about Serie A now. Uh, I want to start with your team, Inter, who remain top yeah. of the league after that late winner against Venezia. I know how much of a big Antonio Conte fan you were slash are, yeah. uh, uh, but is, is Simone Inzaghi the love of your life these days? Is it not the love of my life in my days? Uh, but uh, no, yeah, he's doing really well, to be honest. <laughs> uh, we were not expecting in Italy this kind of impact for, for Simone Inzaghi, not because he's not a great coach, but because, you know, after Conte left saying that you know, the project was not uh, winning anymore as he was expecting, uh, there was also the, uh, the, 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 the outgoings of Romelu Lukaku and Akraf Hakimi, the accident of Christian Eriksen. It was an easy summer for, it, for Inter and especially for Simone Inzaghi. But Simone Inzaghi, was the, when he arrived, I think something changed that because when he arrived, he was super, super, super positive uh, you know, uh, positive vibes about this team, saying that, you know, we're still good, even if all these things are happening. I'm still positive about what we can do, what we can achieve. And I think also the fans, a part of the, the club, of course, uh, but the fans also really appreciated that. Because, you know, when you arrive in during the storm, uh, if you're positive there, you know, people will remember later. Yeah. And he was always... Uh, uh, very calm, ambitious, and he proved, I think, on the pitch that Inter are still the best team in Italy. Uh, it was not something that we should um, expect at the beginning of the season. It was not something expected. He achieved that during the season, and so I think he's doing really, really well, and is perfect right now for the kind, for the kind of uh, team he has. Also, the players love him. They always say he's one of us. You know, we we see him as a player, not only as a as a coach and the way he treats us. So I think it's uh, only good good, good things to say about Inzaghi until now. Yeah, yeah. Would you say Inter have evolved a little bit under him? Are they they play some lovely football? Are they, are they arguably even better than they were under Conte? I think yes. Uh, I, don't, I don't think that's because many people see, see this as a contraposition of Conte. You know, Conte plays that kind of way, more st- uh, static, while, while Inzaghi plays in a different way. I think, as you said, it's an evolution. You know, Inter needed to win a Scudetto to have also the freedom they have, some players have right now on the field. Because it, when you win something, you know how to do it later. Yeah. So you know what, what is needed to win uh, also on, on the pitch. So I think it's a step-by-step. Also, Conte could... I remember very good game of football of Conte. People forget about it, but I remember a, a game against... A Champions League game against Barcelona in Camp Nou where they played yeah. amazingly. Uh, so... It's not true that Inter under Conte was not playing good football and now they're playing amazing football. Of course, now it's better because there is more time, the players know more each other, Chalanoglu fit in the team perfectly, probably more than Eriksen when he was under Conte. So, you know, there are some... Dzeko is a different player. Lukaku was, was super important to win the Scudetto. But now the team does not rely just on a player like Lukaku in the, uh, in the, in the attack. You know, there is also Lautaro, there is uh, Sanchez when he comes in. Uh, Edin Dzeko is really good, you know, better than me to how to play with other teammates, you know. So I think it's an evolution, as you said. And uh, But yes, they play better this year, totally. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about Dzeko, actually, because he scored the winner against Venezia. How how well has he done to replace Lukaku this season? I think very well, because he, as I said before, the way he plays uh, is probably more helpful for a team uh, 
to play a better football. You know, he's very good in connecting midfield with attack, also coming back to defense when he's needed. Um, it's perfect for, you know, when, when Romelu Lukaku left Inter, Simone Inzaghi went to the board and said, I'm thinking just about one player. And he said, um, Edin Dzeko. And the board answered, uh, uh, well, that's what we were thinking the last two years also to buy. <laughs> but we, we never did it. We never find a way to, to do it. Because remember when Antonio Conte went to Inter, his ideal uh, two strikers were Romelu Lukaku and Edin Dzeko together. So they didn't have, ever play together. But, you know, I think it's a good, uh, good option right now for Inter. And uh, I, I think he didn't score much lately, but... Uh, um, he's doing really, really well. And he, they, they don't miss Romelu Lukaku in Milan right now. So it, that's totally merit of uh, credit to Edin Dzeko and Simone Inzaghi. Yeah. On Sunday night, we got all excited for Milan to play Juve, only for the game to finish nil-nil, with just four shots on target in the whole 90 minutes, all of which came from Milan. Was this the most disappointing Serie A match of the season, do you think? I would say yes, but we could expect it. Because uh, yeah. if you watch Juve playing lately... Uh, they had some issues, defensively speaking, at the beginning of the season. Now they, they seem more structured. So Allegri probably found a way to, you know, find a, finding a, a, a defense more solid and all, all things that were, are totally needed right now in the team. But of course, we were expecting more. Uh, we were expecting also because AC Milan play always good football. Uh, zero shots from Juventus, to be honest, is something that cannot be accepted can be accepted now because we are fine. We are, Juventus are in a new phase that they need to restructure. So it's important not to lose these kind of games. You know what I mean? It's important to yeah. win points. But they cannot think that this is something to build on. You know, that's that's a, <laughs> because it's not nice to see a game like that where everyone watches and you know zero 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 shots on the on the yeah to, zero everything yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it was not good. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do you think it might have had something to do with there only being 5,000 fans in San Siro might the uh, a full capacity crowd might have sort of inspired the players to, to be better maybe yes but uh, we saw also uh, when there was the when there was the, the lockdown when the stadiums were empty totally last summer uh, mm. the situation wasn't very no not last summer to some it seems last summer but it's two years ago now already. yeah <laughs> uh, the games were kind of the same at the end, no? Uh, they were less, you know, the, yeah. the, the, the thing about the being a, um, a home team or visiting team, there was less this kind of difference. But at the end, goals were scored anyway. So I don't think that's the only... That's, that, that's not a consequence, to be honest. What's the deal with the uh, the pitch at San Siro? It looks like it's uh, it's not the best pitch. Uh, I guess they play a lot of football on there with, with Inter and, and Milan both playing there and... Um, there's, there's still some talk about a yeah, new yeah, stadium that, as well. Is that is that gone away now? Or? I mean, the things are not connected, but yes. I mean, the, the, <laughs> uh, the, the thing of the, the pitch is that uh, they played a lot of games recently. Uh, and, you know, when things go wrong, they always go worse. So, like, probably yeah. they didn't have also the time to uh, fix it. So, for example, mm-hmm. in, in January, there were some back-to-back games during the during the during the weekend as well. Like, for example, Inter play against Venezia on Saturday and AC Milan play against Juventus on Sunday. Both games were in San Siro. And to be honest, that's something that never happens in Serie A. Never. Uh, it's something very unusual. Uh, so I don't know what, why they did it, but uh, now they will uh, re- re- redo the old, the old grass and all thing uh, for the derby on February 5th. 
So hopefully right. it will be will be better. And uh, because a lot of players are actually also both Pioli and Zaghi were uh, kind of uh, yeah, annoyed by the situation and they can understand. The new stadium, yes, um, is still a lot of bureaucracy. Uh, the 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 government, not the government, the mayor um, is now working on it. They are doing all the talks, uh, but it looks like it's going ahead and looks like it's going to be after the Winter Olympic Games in 2026 that will be right. in Milan and Cortina in Italy. So probably we have to expect a new stadium. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen to San Siro, if it's going to stay or not. That's a discussion. That's the main discussion right now. Uh, but the new stadium for the clubs will be probably after that. Yeah. And, uh, and back to that game, I mean, we, we mentioned that uh, it was a pretty poor display from both teams, but especially from Juve. It's not been a great season from Juve, I think we can we can agree on that. Is is it time to wonder maybe whether it was a, a mistake to bring Max Allegri back? Uh, to be honest, uh, a season, no, I don't think it was a mistake, because I tell you why. Because uh, last year, when Ju- Juventus went to the Champions League, last game, I don't know if you remember, uh, against Bologna, it was a 3-0. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they went into the Champions League just because Napoli drew against Verona. Otherwise, we're not in the Champions League anymore any, uh, this season already. So the level is more or, le- more or less the same. The team didn't change so much. They lost Cristiano Ronaldo, which is a big, big loss because you lose a lot of goals per year mm. and you didn't replace Cristiano Ronaldo because it's impossible to replace Cristiano Ronaldo, but you didn't even have, like, they, they didn't buy Vlaovic last, last summer, for example, no? So they didn't really replace him. They had Moiskin, who is a prospect, young player, but he's not Cristiano Ronaldo, doesn't score the kind of goals and crucial goals as well. So Allegri knows, knew and knows that he needs to do, he needs to restart and, uh, and do a new cycle with this, with this team. And that's what he's doing. So I don't think it was a mistake. Let's see, let's see what happens in the next, next year. But uh, until now, we cannot say it was a mistake. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're going to get a big boost. Looks like uh, the signing of Dusan Vlahovic from Fiorentina. Is he the man uh, to return them to their former glory, do you think? I'm a Vlahovic lover, I have to say. Uh, <laughs> I love him so much. Aren't we all? Yeah. I think he's one of the... If there was no Erling Holland right now, he was probably one of the best under-23 striker, if not the best under-23 striker available on the market. Mm. Uh, so we are talking about... a Top, top, top player, unbelievable player with a lot of technique skills, uh, but also the way he. I don't know if you watched the video of him playing at 11 years old in in Serbia. Uh, I did, yeah, yeah. Like, come on, that's that's, <laughs> that's unbelievable. And uh, yeah. also, let me say about Vlaovic. Uh, yes, I think I totally agree. I think it's a is an amazing adi- addition for Juventus, but it's not enough. It's not enough for Juventus because. Yes, he's a great striker. They have the probably the best strikers in Serie A they will have. But also they need to rebuild something in the midfield. That's something I'm insisting so much because they have players that... You can also like the players uh, by themselves. For example, Bentancur, for example, Arthur, for example, uh, Rapiot, Locatelli. But together there is no... They, 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 they don't fit together. I don't know. They, that's something I, I feel... And you can see that on the pitch. So I think they need, they need to do something in the in the midfield. Also, probably a new left back uh, because Alexander is not performing as before. They need to see, also solve the situation of Paulo Dybala because now, let's see. Uh, I'm not sure he's going to stay. You know, let's see. Yeah. What, what about Dybala? What about Morata as well? What does this mean for for those two? Uh, Morata, the situation is very clear. Uh, he won't stay at Juventus. You know, he's on loan until June. 
to Juventus. It was a two years loan, and then they have the right, uh, the option to buy for 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 the for the future. And this option to buy won't happen. They won't right. they won't trigger it. Uh, they already told the players, uh, the player, the agent. So he's very, to be honest, he's very disappointed because he came back to Juventus to be the number nine for for, for many years. You know. Uh, so he was disappointed, of course, about about Vlaovic. Uh, not about Vlaovic, about the fact that he's not considered for the future. Mm. So he wants to leave. He wants to leave, hundred uh, percent. The thing is, it's not easy to leave for a player like Morata right now. Not just because of the salary, but also because he wanted to go to Barcelona. Barcelona wanted him so much. Xavi wanted him so much at the beginning of the month. But then what happened? Now, when they said, "Okay, uh, let's go with Vlaovic," so Morata needs to go. Uh, Atletico Madrid said, uh, and also they were very reluctant at the beginning of the month. They said, "No, we don't want to do this favor to Barcelona, which is our uh, direct rival in La Liga." No, so doesn't look likely that he will go to Barcelona in the next days. Let's see. Might be, might be one of the surprises of deadline day, Morata. You know, uh, <laughs> maybe. Yeah, I hope so. But uh, let's see. Let's see. Uh, at, the, at the moment, it's difficult to say about DiBala. The situation is very clear. He was. Uh, he found an agreement with Juventus in November with for 10 million euros uh, per per season salary. Uh, Juventus said uh, one poem at one moment after they agreed, they said, uh, let's postpone it. Let's go. Let's talk again in February, saying also that they need to rediscuss the, the figures. And I think that's more psychological than football, this kind of, um, of thing I'm going to say. But when a player like Dybala, you know, he also had Cristiano Ronaldo came to Juventus. He wasn't the star anymore. Cristiano Ronaldo finally, quote-unquote, leave Juventus. So Dybala is again the star of the, the, the team, with Kez, I would say. Captain the first game, is the captain of the first game of the season this year. Then what happens? They say, okay, let's renew the contract. And then they... By Vlaovic, they give him the money, basically, his, uh, Paolo Di Bala uh, also was asking, which is okay. So let's see. I mean, I don't know if he wants to go through this again. You know, Let's see also if he has other bids. Let's see also what happens. They need to rediscuss. He was super, 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 super good with Juventus, Di Bala, in the past. You know, he was always very uh, loyal. He wanted to stay. So he might stay at the end. I'm not saying he's leaving but they need to rediscuss and rediscussing with Vlaovic I think is a factor so let's see what happens and his, con- his contract runs out in June Dybala yes exactly yeah. June, June this year yes right interesting another eye-catching transfer story involves Atalanta's Robin Gosens he was linked with Newcastle a few weeks ago now he appears to be on the verge of joining <laughs> Inter are you excited about that one yeah it's gonna be official I don't know if right now as we're speaking or it's gonna be official soon because uh I'm super excited because I think he's a, a, a. I mean, before the injury of this year, he was probably the best left back in Italy with Hernandez, and also in Europe, one of the top top five, I would say, easily. He was also super good at the Euros. I don't know if you remember with Germany. I do. Uh, yeah. Very very good player. Uh, it can be a very good addition for Inter Milan uh, in a position where they already have Ivan Perisic, who is doing amazingly this season, but his contract will expire also this summer. And negotiations are going on, but doesn't look uh, super close, the renewal of the contract. I'm not saying that he will not renew. He might renew as well. So Inter can have both Gosens and Perisic, but, you know, it's a good addition for this team. And also, at the end, the price they, they paid them is the 25 million add on included. I think is a very mm, good price for a player like Gosens. Um, 
it's kind of low because his contract is due to expire in summer 2023. So also Atalanta knew that if he was going to the summer with a current contract, they could get less money probably. Uh, so I think it's a good deal for all the sides in this moment. Uh, he's injured, so he will be out yeah, until yeah. March. Uh, so I think it's a, it's a signing more for next season rather than this season. But uh, totally amazing signing for him. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we talked a bit on the Premier League podcast this week about Tammy Abraham, who scored twice in Roma's win over Empoli. Uh, Sergio Oliveira also scored in that game. He's got two goals in two games since joining Roma on loan from Porto. Does it look like uh, Mourinho has got a, got a player he can really work with there in Oliveira? Sergio Oliveira was, to me, the best uh, the best signing of uh, of um, of January transfer window until now. At least on the pitch. Let's see also what what happens with uh, with the others. But on the pitch was totally the best one. Uh, so yes, I agree with that. Tammy Abraham. Uh, there were a lot of uh, a lot of expectations about Tammy, and to be honest, until now he was super good. He he, he replaced a, play, a player like Edin Dzeko. It's not easy to replace him. He's the, was the captain of Roma. Uh, scored a lot of goals, and he didn't have a good moment like in the like uh, between October and November. He didn't score for six games, but now like he's in the last six, he scored six. So uh, not a bad moment for Tammy Abraham, despite bad games such as the one Roma lost against AC Milan and the one they lost against Juventus, the crazy game against you know, Juventus. Yeah. So I think uh, these are two players that Mourinho can really rely on and it's not going to be easy to go to the Champions League. Quite quite impossible at the moment because there are yeah. so many other clubs. But uh, also for the future, I don't. Mourinho is always saying that this is a three-year project. So this, even if he doesn't go to the Champions League, I think he will stay unless there is something incredible that happens that we never know in football. But uh, he's expected to stay, to, to do, to be part of this project. And I totally agree that Tammy Abram will be the key player for him in the future. Yeah. Has he been learning Italian? Do you know, Abraham? I don't know if he learned Italian. No, he didn't. <laughs> I don't know yet. I don't know yet. But uh, I think I think he's studying because he needs to study. Yeah. yeah. Well, he's got another English player in the dressing room with him now as well, Ainsley Maitland-Niles. How has he done at Roma so far? Well, it wasn't easy for him because the first game he played immediately against Juventus uh, as a starter and it was the most terrible game in the until after Bodo Glimt 6-1 was probably the worst game of the season for Roma oh, yeah. not because <laughs> they didn't play well I think it was the best game of the season for many reasons but then there was the last 20 minutes that they, all the thing happened they, from 3-1 three, three, they lost 4-3 so but I think you know it's too, too early right now he only played few few minutes let's see but so far so good because Mourinho trusts him so I think he will play a lot way more than he was allowed. Well, that's all we've got time for on this episode of the European Tour Podcast. I've been Dan Burke and a big thank you to all my guests for their insight this week and to you for listening at home or wherever you are. I will be back again next week to take you on another guided tour of the biggest storylines in European football. But until then, if you would like to contact any of our podcasts with a question or a query, the email address to do so is podcast at onefootball.com.